those two people come to mind right off bat, off the bat. Uh, an older man and his wife, and I said to him, do you have uh, life insurance? What would happen if you, you passed away? What would happen to your wife? And he says, oh, I'm worth more than dead. No, 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 I got, you know, don't bother me. Okay, fine. He died. They had nothing. And, and the widow cried on my shoulder, what am I going to do, you know? And uh, that's, a, that's a sad thing. It really is. And I had another case, uh, almost the same identical thing, and uh, I had to offer the loaner money to open the grave for her husband. I didn't, didn't end up doing it. Thank God. She had some kids that finally stepped up to the plate to help her. But she couldn't even open a grave for her own, her own husband. And uh, that's not the way it ought to be. That's not right. And so uh, if any way I can help you with anything like that, uh, then uh, just feel free to get in touch with me. I sure enjoyed the song service, or get in touch with somebody, it doesn't have to be me. I enjoyed the song service this morning. Two songs I love, I, I, I can't remember my name sometimes, so I've got to have a cheat sheet, right? Uh, Wonderful Grace of Jesus, that's exactly what we're preaching on. And uh, Greater Than All My Sin, amen? And I can remember my grandfather preached, Grace isn't just salvation. Uh, grace is every blessing that touches the Christian life. And sometimes a blessing is, is in disguise as not a blessing, but it turns out to be a blessing. There's nothing that happens to a believer that God doesn't weigh and consider and, and uh, allow because it is in our best interest. And I'll tell you, sometimes it takes a lot of faith to believe that. Uh, but as time goes on, you look back and you can see that, wow, you know, that was a blessing for me. Uh, in some way that God allowed in my life. So just because it doesn't look like a blessing doesn't mean it's not a blessing. And grace touches every area of your life, uh, whether it's a, it appears to be a good thing or a bad thing, it's all the grace of God. And the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound to you. All right? And, and uh, in the New Testament, we see the phrase much more, much more, much more. Under law... Now we have obligate, you know, they had obligation. Under the under grace, we have much more, and we give out of love, and we serve out of love, not out of obligation, and therefore we ought to do more because we're doing it because we love the Lord. I I noticed these two songs, "Wonderful Grace of Jesus," and then one I've not sung in a long time, "The Cleansing Wave." Uh, that I don't know what it is, but just something about that song, it just that just tickles my blesser. Amen. I see the blood, you know, and it's, uh, I feel the blood, I feel the blood, amen, applied and, uh, and uh, the old nature dying and a new nature taking over. That song is just a blessing. I'm not sure it's 100% theologically correct, but we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're just going to be blessed, amen, because uh, that is a great, great song. It just makes you want to shout when you sing it. Oh, I, some of you have not met my wife. She wasn't here yesterday. She's heard it all a hundred times. So if you want to stand up, Cindy, this is Cindy. And she's the love of my life. A bee, a bee doesn't buzz without its honey, so I can buzz a little. Amen. And uh, I'm glad she's here this morning. All right, let's open our Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 as we continue our uh, message on total stewardship. As I said, stewardship isn't just about money. I, I don't understand preachers that have never mentioned money. I was an assistant pastor with a good man uh, in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana, years ago, and he said, I never preach about money. He said, people are right with God they'll give. Well, I agree with that. If people are right with God, they'll do what's right and they'll give. Uh, but I also know that we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. So that includes finances. Stewardship isn't just about finances. It's about 
our time, our talents, and it is about our treasure. It's about everything that we have or possess, our abilities and everything uh, in a Christian life. It's a total, it's a total package of the Christian walk, of the Christian life. And so we are responsible for everything God places in our hands, whether it's our time or talents or our treasure, we're responsible to God to be a steward. We own nothing. We as believers, we as believers should have a vow of poverty. We as believers should have no rights of our own. Everybody says, well, this is my right. This is my right. You have no rights. Uh, you, don't, you only have the right to obey the Lord. That's the right that we have. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. I heard somebody in a Bible college say that years ago, a lot of young people would pick Galatians 2.20 as their life verse, and hardly anybody picks it as their life verse anymore. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. By the way, the King James Bible is the only one that talks about the faith of Jesus. He says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're crucified, you have no future plans. You have no future plans of your own. Amen? I mean, you're crucified. You're dead. You're dying. You're dead. And we ought to be dead to the flesh, the world, and the devil, and alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're crucified with Christ. We have no plans of our own. We don't even own ourselves. We are not our own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your body is to be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's total stewardship. And when you realize that you have, uh, you have no rights, you really uh, realize that God is in control of everything and that frees you because He's responsible. You say, Lord, I have a lot of bills. Well, whose fault's that? Probably your fault. But if you've given everything to Jesus Christ, now they're His bills. <laughs> Amen? You can give God your bills. And God pays His debts. So uh, this thing about debt, and uh, we talked a lot about that yesterday, this thing about debt is give it to the Lord. You say, give the Lord my debt. The Bible says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. So your debts are the Lord's. Now, it may be because of your foolishness, but when you can repent of your foolishness and really get the stewardship idea down and have a plan, God will see that like He did the, the widow in, uh, in Second Kings. God will see that and help you uh, with that. And so uh, we dealt with that a lot yesterday, and I'm not going to uh, rehash that uh, today uh, particularly. Maybe, later, maybe tonight we'll talk a little bit about that. And so we're talking about total stewardship, uh, we looked at God's prospering, and under God's prospering, we see that God has the abundance of source. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's read, verses, uh, let's read verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, I like that word always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. There is a ton of preaching right in that verse. God is the source. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. God is not limited in His grace. I remember my grandfather uh, had, a, uh, had an old illustration. I was just a little boy. And we always heated the church and our homes with coal from western Pennsylvania. Uh, we said, well, uh, we had a wood shed. Well, we had a, we had a coal shed. Uh, for our, I went to a one-room schoolhouse, and we had a coal shed. Bring in a bucket of coal uh, for the furnace in the middle of the floor of the, of the, uh, of the school. But you have a great big pile of coal, and you take from that, and you heat your home with it. And my grandfather said the coal pile never gets smaller. 
If anything, it gets bigger. And he said that represents the grace of God. God has abundant supply. He never runs out of grace. And no matter how much we take of the grace of God in our lives, God's abundant supply never runs out. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You're the God that supplies all of our needs. We thank You, Lord, that Your grace is all-sufficient. It's all that we need for whatever issues, problems, uh, needs that come into our life. And we thank You, Father, that we can trust You that You're the one uh, who uh, sustains and maintains all things. Help me as I preach. I need Your power. I need Your blessing. I pray that You stir our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And for His sake, Amen. And so we look at uh, the abundant source, uh, which is the Lord, and the uh, abundant abundance of supply uh, in our lives. And then next we see the abundant abounding in service. Why? We, God's a source, and God's a giver, and God wants to bless us with supply, and God will never run out of supply. The grace of God never runs out. The need is, it can always be met. And what are we supposed to do with it? Well, look at the, the verse, the last part of the verse of Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 8. It says, to every good work, abounding to every good work. We as Christians ought to be filled up with good works. What's that word abounding mean? It means to abound to overflowing. It means to excel, exceed, having plenty, having more than enough, and provide in abundance much, much more. In the New Testament, we see that phrase. Now, you say, uh, the, how, how, how much does God supply? He supplies usually more than we need. Thank God for that. Look at the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. And that's, you know, that's mentioned in the Bible a lot, by the way. And so they're wandering through the wilderness and they're complaining every day. They, they got to be pretty professional complaining, right? And uh, so they said, what, what are we going to do? We don't have any water to drink. And uh, God told Moses, smite the rock, water came out, and there was enough water for millions of Jews. I don't know how many there were. Some commentaries say two million, some say four million. I guess it depends on if you're, cal- uh, uh, if you're evangelistic or not, how many there were. Everybody talks about their Sunday school, you know, it's bigger than this one. But I don't know how many Jews there were, but there's a lot of them, a couple million at least. And there's enough water from that rock to supply their need. I read somewhere the other day, that that's the only miracle that's still functioning uh, that the Bible talks about. The water's still coming out there. I'd be interested to know for sure. But the water was supplied. Now, you th- they, they, that's a legitimate need. Then they said, well, uh, we're going to starve. We're going to starve. And what did God do? He supplied manna. It was called, what is it? <laughs> what is, what, that's what manna means. What is it? It came down. It laid in the ground. What is it? And... Uh, it's like my, my aunt always uh, had a dog. My, my, uh, she lived out in the country, out in the woods. And, and uh, my uncle worked night turn as a dragline operator in a limestone, open limestone pit. And he'd be working at night. She'd be afraid. She always had a dog. And God always provided a dog. She was a prayer warrior. When she prayed, stuff happened, <laughs> believe me. And she said, Lord, I, I, my dog died. I need a dog. And so my uncle's sitting on the, on the uh, patio in front of the house. And here comes this uh, boxer-looking dog up the driveway. And my uncle said, Hey, you! And the dog came to him. So they named him Hey, you! Amen? So, Hey, you this, Hey, you that. And that was her dog. And, and, and so that, this manna fell, and they said, What is it? Now, let me ask you this. Were they going to starve to death? 
Were they going to starve to death? Did they need the manna? And when you figure out how much manna fell and how many people there were, there's more manna than they could possibly eat. God supplied more abundant, above and beyond what they really needed. But did they, did they need the manna? They said, wow, we don't, have, you know, we don't have meat to eat. Was that true? Or was that a lie? We, we don't, what are we going to do? We don't have meat to eat. So God gave them quail. And there have been many accounts of, of uh, flocks of quail that fly over that area. They flew, flew so, you know, you could take a lawn rake and knock them out of, the, out of the air. And they had quail to eat. We're going to starve to death. God gave them manna. We're going to starve to death. God gave them quail. Were they going to starve to death? The Bible says when they left, they had much cattle. And when they had the golden calf thing, they could make sacrifice. They had their needs met. Their clothes did not wear out. Their sandals did not wear out. I know as a, as a kid, I always coveted my brother's shirts because I knew someday they'd be mine. Amen? That's a nice shirt. Boy, I can't wait till he outgrows that. And, uh, of course, there was never any long-sleeved ones because he wore out the elbows and my mother cut them off, right? But, but their clothes never wore out. Well, did that, did, was that necessary? They had animals to make skins out of. See? My, my point is, God supplies, and lots of times we just keep complaining. And God supplies above and beyond what we need. And what do we do? We just keep complaining. That's, what, that's the way we are, isn't it? And we need to realize how blessed we really are. You know what? I'm not so sure. And I sit in a Sunday school class, and this is something that's really hard for preachers, is to sit under another preacher or a Sunday school teacher because we all have our opinion about everything, right? And so this guy says in Sunday school, I was visiting my mother's church, he says, God won't bless you unless you're totally dedicated to Him. And I didn't want to embarrass the guy, so I didn't. But I thought to myself, all those Jews in the wilderness, they weren't totally dedicated to God, and He kept blessing them. Now, they didn't get into the, the land of Canaan. That was the land of milk and honey. They were not ushered into the full benefits and blessings of the freedom of the, and victory of the Christian life, but they were still blessed. Well, thank God for that. Now, what's God want us to do? He wants us to evaluate what we have and use that for His honor and glory to put Him first. Here's Moses. Moses kills the Egyptian. And he looked to the right. Oh, well, he looked to the right. <laughs> he, he looked to the left. My, my right, your left. My left, your right. He looked. And nobody saw it. So he waxed the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Guess what? By that night, everybody knew it. That which is spoken in the bedchamber, a little bird will tell it. The Bible says everybody knew it. So Moses goes on the lamb over there to his father-in-law's place, became his father-in-law, Jethro's house, and became a shepherd. And he's out there taking care of the sheep or whatever, and he sees this bush that's burning and not consumed. Now, there's not a whole lot to keep your attention or entertain you in the desert, so when you see something like that, it's, yeah, let's go over there and check that out. And it was God in the burning bush. What did God eventually tell Moses? He said, Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses wasn't impoverished. He had a rod, didn't he? What's that in your hand? He said, it's a rod. Oh, throw it down. That's my rod. That's my favorite rod. I'm not going to throw down my rod. I, I mean, it could be this way. It wasn't, but it could be. That I need that to balance when I walk in the desert, in the sand, in the rocks. I need my rod. I need my rod to beat off the wolves that come against the sheep. Now, these are all legitimate things, right? 
I need my rod to encourage the sheep to go wherever I wanted them to go. I need that rod. God said, cast it down. And so Moses cast it down. Now, not to belabor this uh, illustration, but he had to give away, he had to give up, he had to cast down something, a tool that was very important to him. And what God do? He used that rod to subdue the greatest kingdom in the world, the land of Egypt. You see, we're blessed by giving up. We're blessed by casting down. Did you ever notice how Moses picked up the snake, the rod turned into the snake? You ever notice how he picked it up? Picked it up by the tail. I'd never pick up a snake by the tail. You get it behind the head. But you know what that means? That means Moses was behind that snake. Amen? I imagine lots of times that Moses was sleeping and that rod was laying over on the dresser. <laughs> Amen? God took a rod and subdued a kingdom. What's God put in your hand? I have 24 hours in a day. You have the same amount of time. Don Trump's got about 40 hours in a day, so I, that's not a good comparison. But we have the same hours a day as anybody else. We're supposed to use those for God. We have, uh, we have a certain amount of treasure. We're supposed to use that. But preacher, you don't understand. I, I, I'm on Medicaid. <laughs> so was the poor little widow woman that Jesus observed putting two mites in the treasury. She gave more than all of them. Right? But, but preacher, you don't understand. Yeah, I, I do understand. Little is much when God is in it. And when we cast down whatever it is God's told us to cast down, my brother, he, he said God, he felt God was calling him to preach. And he fought it, and he fought it, and he fought it, you know, like most of us did, and fought it, and fought it. And so finally he said, okay. He came to the altar and he said, God, I'm surrendering. I'll, I'll, I'll be a pastor. And he said, the burden just went away. Sometimes God is just curious as to whether or not we're going to throw it down. If we're going to submit to Him. If we're going to obey Him. See, And this whole matter of stewardship has to do with are we willing to obey what God has told us to do? Are we willing to use for His glory what He's put in our hands? And so it's at, it's at all times, all talent, all things, all tasks, every good work, to meet every need, all right? So abundance of time, talent, things, tasks, the promise to meet every need. Always all sufficiency, all things, every good work. Now, God's prospering should lend us, send us to proper spending. Biblical stewardship includes careful management of monies you spend and share. We are a manager for God. Uh, we're a steward. A steward is someone who manages somebody else's goods on their behalf. If you have a, a, a financial advisor and he's set you up with a 401k or whatever, you kind of expect him to give you some advice to manage those funds. <laughs> they, most of them don't. But, you know, that's, that's the idea. If you buy a fund, you want to have a fund manager. God has given us everything we are to manage Everything he's put into our lives for him, for his glory. The old Ben Hur. I mean, remember the old movie? When it was made in the '60s, I don't, I don't know what. Ben, '60s, yeah. And uh, there was the steward. Do you remember the steward? Ben Hur, very wealthy, very successful. But the steward 
was the manager of all that Ben-Hur had in this novel. Ben-Hur went into all kinds of slavery and all kinds of things went on. His home was basically uh, destroyed. When he came back, who was there? The faithful steward was there, still managing his properties. That's the way we are. Look, we don't know what's going to come into our lives. We don't know what tragedies are going to come into our lives. We don't know what issues are going to come to our lives. But we are managing whatever there is for the Lord Jesus Christ, whether great or small. It's His. And when, when you learn, that, you know what that means? That means you have no responsibility. We have responsibility to be a servant to Jesus Christ, but He's the one that we cast our care on. He's the one we serve. The outcome relies on Him. And so we walk by faith and just obey Him. So we have responsibility, yes, but we don't have responsibility in a sense that He takes care of all of our needs and He takes care of all, all these situations. So careful spending. Biblical stewardship includes careful management of our time, our treasure, and our, our talents. Now, credit allows us to run ahead of God. Credit allows us to run ahead of God. When we jump ahead of God by credit, sometimes we miss great blessings. There have been times when I've run ahead of God. You know what? It never works out well. Now, God will bail you out sometimes, you know, because He's loving and He's gracious. But if I can put it on a charge card, I don't need to pray it down, do I? But I'll pay the penalty which is the interest rates and the payments and maybe spending more. You know, it's funny. People make a budget, and they'll budget everything right to the penny. Like nothing bad's ever going to happen. Well, that's, that's not a budget. You need to budget, you know, issues. That's why we talked about having uh, emergency funds and three to six months of income and a liquid account that you can grab and run. I don't recommend you putting it in your mattress because if you have a house fire, that's all gone. I remember uh, I got to be friends with a bond man. He was he used to church bonds used to be a big deal. He said that he was invited to a home. Their church was trying to raise bond money, and uh, was in a home. And a lady, when when he got to the home, the lady was there with a hammer. She started smashing the drywall, and in that wall was just filled with money. She wanted to invest in, in the church. Can you imagine that? What if the house burned down? You know, you're not going to get that money back. So that maybe wasn't the smartest thing, but she did invest it in, in God's work. But credit, when I, when I can just go out and, and uh, put it on a charge card, I can run ahead of God, and maybe I'd miss a great blessing that God has for me. The Bible says, you, see, credit presumes on the future. I'm not saying it's wrong to mortgage a house. That's an appreciating item. I'd rather have a house than a dollar bill, right? Let's say your house is worth a hundred and a half. I'd rather have the house than $150,000 laying around that I can't eat. It won't keep me warm. It's just paper. I'd rather have the house, see? So I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's wrong to use debt to go out and eat, to buy clothes that you don't need, you know? You say, well, I, I needed those clothes. Yeah, well, you know, in two years I'll be at the Salvation Army. I hope, because you get a little tax break on that, right? On your donation, maybe. But, you know, do we really need whatever it is that you charge? And as I said yesterday, I'll sit down with people, they'll owe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in credit cards, and I'll say, well, what would you buy with that? 
Uh, I don't know. Well, you're a good manager, aren't you? I don't know what I bought. Did you go out to eat? Oh, yeah, some of that's that. Buy some clothes? Yeah. Gas? Maybe a little gas. I don't know what what we bought it, what we used it for. That doesn't sound like somebody's being a real good manager of God's assets. The Bible says we're not to be slothful in business. As much as I hate business meetings, brother, you folks ought to be here to check out the business of the church. Church is a business. You know, it takes money to make this thing work. Now, that doesn't sound very spiritual. It really doesn't sound spiritual at all. I even hate to say it. It takes money to pay for the lights. I had, I had one, one message I preached on giving in my church, and I went, through the, I went through the budgeted items of the church in the message, and a family came up to me and said, we never realized the church you know, it took that much money to keep the church going. You've got salaries, you've got heat, you've got lights, you've got cleaning supplies, you have outdoor maintenance, you have indoor maintenance, we had indoor deacon that was in charge of things indoor and an outdoor deacon, and they'd always argue, well, did the ball come through the window from the outside or the inside? <laughs> you know, it's a, just fix the window. You know, you guys can get together and fix the window. And, you know, <laughs> but, but, but really, uh, what was I saying? I was preaching about something. I forget what it was. <laughs> so you all got me off. But, um, anyway. Anyway, it, it, oh, I know what it was. We're not to be slothful in business. So the church has to run like a business. You got snow plowing, you got lawn mowing, you got all this stuff. And it takes money to make it go. And I wish it didn't, but it does. And I said to the pastor I was with, he said, I never preach your money. Listen, we need to be brought up to accountability on, our, on what we give to God and how we manage the assets uh, He has placed in our hands. The home is the first institution that God made. Well, that means the home is a business. Think about your home that way. You have a mortgage or you have rent. You have an automobile that you've got to maintain. You have food you've got to put on your table. Your home is a business. Are you slothful in the financial business of, of the institution that God made, the home? See, we need, to, we need to think about these things. And so we need to uh, not use credit foolishly and run, a, and, and run ahead of God. Okay, I don't know where I'm at now. That's all right. Okay. Certain biblical principles that should be observed to correct and maintain a right relationship in the area, number one, acknowledging God's ownership. We talked about that in Sunday school. Accepting God's supply with contentment. I'm going to have to quit here pretty soon. But accepting God's supply with contentment. The people in the wilderness, the Jews in the wilderness, kept accepting God's supply, but they weren't very content, were they? They weren't very content. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out of this world or out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You say... Covetousness and contentment kind of go together like, like uh, ham and cheese, peanut butter and chocolate. Right? You know, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, the peanut butter tree was right beside the chocolate tree, right? You know that? <laughs> okay. But a discontented spirit and covetousness, they go together like ham and cheese, like a horse and buggy. And we say, oh, covetousness, yeah, that's a bad sin. But it's not as bad as 
adultery. It's not as bad as robbing a bank. Are you sure about that? There's never been a war where millions of people have died that covetousness hasn't been the sin behind it. Think about that. There's never been a thief that's robbed a bank or a home, murdered somebody, that covetousness has not been behind it. You say, I can't give God 10%. You, you ladies, you go out of the store and it's 10% off on a dress, and you say, well, that's not very much. God says, I want 10%. And you say, the, the thing behind our not giving is a covetousness. And it's a lack of contentment. If I had more, I'd give. How many times have I heard that? If I had more, I'd give. No, you wouldn't. You don't give now, you wouldn't give then. And I found that people that make more have a harder time giving sometimes than people that don't. That's really true. Why? Covetousness. A lack of contentment. They go together. And so we need to accept God's supply. God, you've supplied this. Therefore, I'm going to live inside these means. But Lord, I'd really like to have this other thing. Okay, so pray about it. God loves to give good gifts to His children. And if God doesn't give you that thing, maybe you don't really need that thing. Uh, You know, what's that verse where it says, God gave them the desires of the heart and sent leanness into their souls? I'm not quoting that just right, but that's the gist of it. Oh, I, they gave him the desires of heart, but he sent leanness in their souls. There's a lot of people have all kinds. Of, I mean, just, i, I got to quit. There's a book out there called um, How They Died and Where They're Buried. Anybody read that book? Uh, that's a book I read when I'm traveling. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't read about dying and being buried when I travel. But, you know, like when you're in an airport or on an airplane, and, you're, and because it's just uh, a couple pages. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Abbott and Costello, but when you look at all these Hollywood types, especially the death rate, uh, the age of somebody's death has a direct proportion to the kind of music they produce. Acid rock people die sooner than classical musicians. Interesting. Because that's probably because they're doing drugs and stuff. It's like Jay Leno, he says, you can tell allergy season's bad when the drug dealers are turning crystal meth back into Sudafed. (laughs) I mean... When your house blows up, it kind of shortens your lifespan, you know. But, <laughs> but you look at all these people, they had the world by the tail. Marilyn Monroe, I mean, you could, you know, some young people don't know, probably don't know who that was. But anyway, Elvis Presley, they had the world by the tail, sitting on top of the world, they had it made in the shade. Johnny Cash, a drug addict, and then he got saved, thank God. But a drug addict had everything the world could offer, but the world is empty. And so we need to be content with what we have. That doesn't say you shouldn't be diligent and try to work hard and improve yourself. That's one place us Baptists, we we, uh, slack off with our kids and not challenge them to be all they can be, you know, because you can bring, you know, glory to God. I mean, anyway, that's a whole different sermon. But what has God put in your hand, Moses? What's God given you in the wilderness? Stop complaining, thank God for it, and use it for His glory. Now, if you're here today and you're not born again, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, grace is for you. See, we've been talking about grace you know, in our meeting our needs, uh, grace in our giving, grace in uh, life's difficulties. But the first step of grace is finding it in your own life. 
You say, well, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? Do you have the blessing of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Do you have the guide of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Do you have the direction of what's right and wrong in your life? See? Well, all that's for you. And you say, well, you must think you're better than I am because you're saved and I'm not. No, no. I'm the guy that realized I needed something. I needed the grace. You're the arrogant one that says, well, I don't need what you have. I don't need your grace. Yeah, you do. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, if you could go to heaven by, uh, by being such a wonderful person, when you got there, you'd jump all over heaven bragging about how good you were. When I go to heaven, it's going to be, wow, Jesus, Jesus rescued me and gave me his grace and took me into his heaven, and I owe it all to him. See the difference? And the Bible says no flesh is going to glory in his presence. So if you're going to go to heaven, it's going to be because God's gracious, not because you're such a hot-shot person, because his graciousness. That's powerful prayer. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the unsearchable riches of your word. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of being your servant, that we have the privilege of being uh, partakers of your supply, not only by salvation, but in our daily lives. We thank you that you have blessed us beyond all imagination. And Father, I pray that we as Christians might give our all to you. What might we surrender and realize we have no rights of our own, we have no future of our own, that it's all to be in submission to your direction. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if there are Christians say,